Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The Russian invasion of Ukraine continues as we see President Biden announce stricter sanctions imposed on Russian banks and oligarchs, hoping to deter Putin from his mission. But things have progressed too much with reports of Ukrainian debts, Russia capturing nuclear sites Chernobyl and various other locations, and worries of how far this can go. We are even seeing reports of anti-war protests in Russia. For more on all the sanctions, the impact they might have, and the politics surrounding the invasion, we'll speak to Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. So essentially, he is building upon the sanctions he originally announced on Tuesday. And President Biden did initially get some criticism earlier this week from his critics who essentially said, this is too little, too late. These sanctions should be harsher and this should have happened earlier. However, the White House was very much saying they were saving the next set of sanctions, assuming Putin made another move and he has made an additional move. And we are now in what appears to be a full scale invasion in Ukraine. So President Biden very much continuing to target these Russian oligarchs, the Russian banking system. However, when asked whether he would target and sanction President Putin directly, he did not answer that directly. And when asked about the swift international banking system and kicking Russia off of that, Biden has said all of these options are still on the table. However, he is not yet implementing those particularly harsh sanctions. So Russia will be hit pretty hard economically by this, you know, especially when it comes to trading oil, for example, natural gas. They'll only really have China at this point to trade with. So they they will be hit hard. However, Biden also talked about how the U.S. would likely be hit hard, like so many Western nations, because of this issue of oil and natural gas. Gas prices will likely continue to go up in the West because of these, what's happening and the sanctions. And that's the balance that they're trying to strike here with all of that. You know, President Biden said Putin is the aggressor. He chose this war and now his country will bear the consequences. Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Any nation that countenances Russia's naked aggression against Ukraine will be stained by association. When the history of this era is written, Putin's choice to make a totally unjustifiable war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. You know, you mentioned this worldwide banking transfer system, SWIFT, where banks across the world transfer money between them. Taking Russia out of that will definitely hit them really hard, but it'll affect other countries as well. And he mentioned that our European allies aren't ready to go that far yet. So when we talk about limiting the impact to Americans when it comes to oil and energy prices and other you know, European allies that we're all in conjunction with on this, you know, that's kind of that nuclear option, so to speak, taking them out of that swift banking system. So not completely there just yet. And one thing I wanted to also mention is that President Biden is constantly mentioning how this is being done with all of our allies, especially when it comes to like troops and things like that. He, you know, we're sending more troops to other European countries. 
he's saying, stressing, we're not sending troops into Ukraine. We're not going to fight Russia directly on this. Yeah, absolutely. And he's trying to very much avoid saying the U.S. will fight Russia directly or even having that scenario play out in the first place. Remember, Biden is still facing criticism for the very botched and chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan less than a year ago. We are still seeing that in Afghanistan, they are very much suffering the consequences of that withdrawal. So I think the Biden administration has to tread very carefully on that front. Additionally, there just is not a big appetite in the United States to be involved in yet another foreign conflict in the years after the Iraq war wrapped up, as well as the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. And we have to remember, it is a midterm election year here in the United States. And while we like to think our government officials are obviously trying to do goodwill and trying to help you know, other uh, countries around the world and try to uh, make things easier for us here in the United States as much as they can. There's always a political angle to this. And I believe probably that is in the back of the president's mind, in the back of many strategists' minds as well. How does this play out politically here in the United States? I know uh, President Biden is trying to be very strong on this issue. Vladimir Putin is not a popular person here. Unfortunately, we're hearing some things from former President Trump. It sounds like he might be praising him in certain things. He's really just doing it in service of saying, you know, this wouldn't have happened under my administration. But, you know, he's calling him a smart guy, things like that. But how is this playing out for us here domestically? Trump's comments when he said that do not, I think, re reflect what you're hearing most Republican officials say. I think Republican officials are very much pushing back against Putin, not praising him and very much condemning his actions. You've seen that from congressional leaders, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy today. But you're you're seeing Republicans essentially say that Biden has not been tough enough on Putin, that these sanctions should have been leveled last summer or way before now in the 11th hour, essentially. At the same time, though, I think there is this somewhat unifying factor, and I say somewhat because it's not a big one here in the partisan United States, that Russia is a common enemy and that Ukraine is a friend to the United States. And there's obviously uh, NATO is very popular, obviously, in the United States with the U.S. playing a major role in that organization. And, you know, the big question overall, right, sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. Are they even effective? You just hear Putin doesn't care about these things. They've been making kind of arrangements to survive any sanctions they were going to be imposed on them. How long will the invasion of Ukraine last? If it's not very protracted, how effective will those sanctions be? So, I mean, that's kind of that big lingering question is it's still, you know, is it enough? It's a good question. And I think a lot of it depends on the few allies that Russia has left right now, including China. And we have seen China suggest, or it seems like there have been signs pointing up that China does not think a full-scale war in Ukraine would be best for its own political interests um, or geopolitical interests. Remember, when the West struggles and we're seeing rising prices, that could hurt China too, as well. They don't want to have to deal with economic instability. And we saw that Biden very um, interestingly said at his press conference today that he was not ready to comment on whether he was pushing China to isolate Russia. So I thought that was a very interesting dynamic that's playing out. Um, in terms of whether these will hurt the Russians, I mean, look, it, it depends on you know whether China is supporting them because at this point. 
you know, if they're not able to trade with other countries, if they're not able to reap the economic benefits of global trade and exchange, that's going to hurt Russia, especially during a time where Russians are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, for example. However, we don't know how how quickly it will impact them. We know that Putin has been putting out messages saying that the oligarchs in the country need to do their patriotic duty and prepare to really hunker down. But, you know, maybe this could change if Biden were to directly sanction Putin or, for example, were to kick out, you know, Russian students from the U.S. or kick out the Russian ambassador to the United States. He has not gotten that far yet. However, I'm sure if he did, that would change the dynamics. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Right now, the center for many of the discussions surrounding COVID policy, race and gender is your local school board. School districts are having to navigate constantly changing health guidelines and other hot button issues while they face threats of violence from anonymous harassers. One school board member in Virginia was a target of many letters and voicemails in which she and her children received threats of death. For more on all the threats that school board members are facing, we'll speak to Gabriella Border, U.S. national correspondent at Reuters. My colleagues and I in this investigation wanted to see what was going on behind the scenes of the crazy school board meetings that have been in the media over the last year. Those meetings are public and and we've seen that a lot of them can get really heated when school boards are discussing things like mask mandates and anti-racism curriculum, which um, has been labeled critical race theory, and it's really garnered a lot of parental anger, and parents have been angry at school board meetings. But behind the scenes, we have learned that there are a lot of school board members across the country who have received these anonymous and named harassing messages and threats. It it escalates to death threats a lot of the time, um, which is very serious. So we, we were able to obtain more than 200 harassing and threatening messages that individual school board members gave us or we found in police reports that we obtained. And it's it's scary. These school board members didn't think this is what they were getting into when they ran for their local school boards. And it, it really it is. Has, These messages are, yeah. are pretty intense. You know, so for this investigation, you guys spoke to 33 board members across 15 states and got a lot of this evidence, copies of letters, audio of recorded messages, of voicemails and things that they left. And I, I took a listen at some of them. I read a few of them. It is some nasty, nasty stuff. And one of the biggest things is it's so unclear if this is coming directly from local parents in that school district or if it's coming from, you know, randoms, uh, random people that are just kind of in, trying to get involved in the conversation. We know that there's a lot of national groups that are opposing a lot of these policies and things. And, and you know, they can get involved in what's going on locally. Uh, you did focus on one person a, a lot in your article, Brenda Sheridan. She's from Loudoun County in Virginia, on the Virginia school board there. And uh, so tell us a little bit about her and, and the threats that she's gotten. More than half of the threats that we documented were actually threats and harassing messages. I should clarify, not all of them were outright threats, but there's a lot of vulgar language being used. Many of the threats that we documented went to Brenda Sheridan, who was the, she was formerly the chair of the Loudoun County School Board. And Loudoun County got a lot of attention nationally over the past year. There, there were very vocal protests against critical race theory outside the school board, and it 
was a county that had the national spotlight on it from pandemic related closures to its transgender policy. It was really um, yeah, they a hit, county that riled they, up a lot of anger nationally. Yeah, they hit all the markers for all the conversations we're talking about. They really did. A lot of a lot of the issues that are driving political anger right now were all happening in Loudoun. And Brenda was receiving hateful messages from people around the country. Some of the voicemails that she received, the callers wouldn't name themselves, but they would say, I'm calling you from California or I'm calling you from Oklahoma. So I know that some of those people were from out of state and then others sent nasty emails and there was no way of knowing if the person sending the email was local or otherwise, unless they said a lot of people used email addresses that weren't real names. So it was tough to know um, who they were, but she was getting it from all ends. You guys obtained a letter from her that had a thread. It was a handwritten message. So I'll just read from it briefly. And this letter was sent to her and one of her children. So it says, it's too bad that your mother is an ugly communist whore. If she doesn't quit or resign before the end of the year, we will kill her. But first, we will kill you. So, I mean, the threats are coming to her children as well. And that wasn't the only one that was directed at her family. And something that she said, which stuck with me and we quoted in the story, is a lot of these threats that are anonymous. She said, there's no way of knowing is that threat to kill me coming from my neighbor down the street who knows my routine? Or is it someone across the country who maybe saw a news piece on me and has decided they hate me so much that they're going to reach out. The nature of a lot of these threats, you know, as we mentioned, it's it's driving a lot of the political conversation that's going around right now. And a lot of it is positioned kind of as this larger conspiracy to commit treason, impose tyranny, you know, the mandates, things like that. A lot of the threats are often in these grander terms rather than, um, hey, I don't like that X policy or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of rhetoric out there right now, a lot coming from the political right, a fear that government in all its forms, even people who govern the local school board are trying to crack down on personal freedoms or it, which would be in the case of, um, they would say, closing schools or mandating masks in classrooms. Or there's also a very common sentiment that School boards are trying to indoctrinate American children with an anti-white, anti-American worldview through some of the anti-racism initiatives that school boards have launched in the last year. So I think we're seeing that really blowing up. And that's that's what's coming out in a lot of the threats and, and harassment that school board me- members are receiving. And you guys did something really interesting in this investigation. You obtained some of these emails that were sending some of these threats and you wrote back to those email addresses just to see what's up, to see you know if they would either yep. talk to you more, identify themselves. You reached out to a, a bunch of them. Six people actually responded. What did they have to say? I got a lot of responses, actually more than I thought I would, six people. So some people did not agree to do an on-the-record phone call, which is what I was trying to have them do so I could really pick their brains about what prompted them to send messages. The people that did respond to me did not send messages that would be prosecutable. They weren't death threats. These were people who sent really vulgar messages or just outright insulting, body shaming, or just rude language in their messages. And I asked why they had sent them. And a couple people said they were really outraged by uh, Loudoun County's 
transgender policy, the county recently passed a policy that allows transgender students to go by their chosen pronouns and to use the bathroom of their choice. And that really outraged a couple of people. And then there were a couple of people who um, were really fired up about the idea that the school district was trying to promote critical race theory. So these people choose their issues and got very, very angry at them. And the difficulty is, you know, once these threats start coming in, the hateful rhetoric, all of this stuff really just muddies the water on the actual conversation. And then parents that are involved and maybe could be generally concerned, you know, they could get lumped into these other groups, extreme types of things like that. And really the conversation falls by the wayside then. And and it's hard to really come to a consensus that could work well for the school. You know, the other trouble with all of this is investigating these anonymous threats. So police have had a hard time mm-hmm. tracking people down one, or as you mentioned, uh, some things are just not prosecutable. You know, they might not mm-hmm. tip that scale enough to uh, it be criminal. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that because the, a lot of police departments are having this problem. Free speech is protected and free speech uh, includes pretty nasty insults in order for a message to be considered criminal and prosecutable, it has to really cross the line and indicate that there is some real danger to the person receiving it. And a lot of these, as rude and as vile as they are, they don't they don't cross that line. And some of the ones that did cross that line came from anonymous senders and from police reports. We were able to see that in many cases, the police did try to look into who sent these messages and they came up with multiple IP addresses or like they came to dead ends as they were trying to figure out who the person was behind this email address or this phone number. So not giving a lot of reassurance to uh, the school board members and, and it's and yeah, dead end after dead end on a lot of these. And they're calling for, you know, more enforcement, help from the FBI to investigate this. I know Attorney General Merrick Garland said that he would devote some federal resources to helping look into some of this stuff, threats at, uh, at the school board level. What are we seeing on that front? So the Justice Department has convened a task force to look at threats against elected officials. The Justice Department and the FBI, both agencies, really declined to comment further for this story beyond what they have already said publicly, that they are looking at these issues. We did hear from some of the school board members and the local law enforcement agencies that they were in touch with the FBI on a couple of these threats, and they spoke more openly about how the FBI has been involved. But again, we have seen no arrests made for any of the more than 200 threats and harassing messages that we documented. So we know that there hasn't been too much success there. That being said, some of the times these investigations do take a very long time. So the Justice Department might be following some leads, but nothing has come of it yet. Well, I mean, it's definitely an interesting time. Uh, I suggest everybody check out Gabriella and her colleagues' piece on this. There's a lot of examples of some of the threats, audio, as I mentioned earlier, some really nasty stuff. But it's important to be informed about what's kind of going on on the other side of these things. Gabriella Border, U.S. National Correspondent at Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.